hey, I am so excited to be able to talk about marriage because in the beginning, God created marriage. And he created it to be awesome, created it to be amazing. He told Adam and Eve when he placed them in the garden, he said, this is how this thing works. Eat freely. Eat whatever you want. Just don't eat from the fruit of that tree. Then the second thing, run around naked and multiply. Now, as a marriage pastor, I have to tell you, that's the best plan I've ever heard for marriage. <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. You get to eat whatever you want, run around naked, and multiply. Yes, I can see you guys have benefited from the multiply. I just saw that. So, But as we talk about marriage, God created marriage, and he created it to be amazing. But then when they ate from the forbidden fruit, now we have diets. We have to wear clothes. I'm sure many of you go and praise Jesus for that one. And I'm sure Adam felt a lot like my son on the first day of kindergarten. When I pulled up to pick him up at kindergarten the first day, he opened up the door and got into the car and was like, Oof. I was like, whoa, what's up, little buddy? He said, I hate school. And I go, you got a long ways to go. I go, what was so bad about school? It's kindergarten. He said, Dad, I had to wear clothes all day long. And I'm sure that's how Adam felt with his little fig leaf. But praise God, we get to multiply still. He gave us that one. And ever since then, we've seen in marriage, from that time, conflict enter in. We can see the blame going in between Adam and Eve. Like, man, if you wouldn't have done that, we would have still had this awesome thing, but now we don't. But if you would have manned up and done what you're supposed to do, then the conflict just kept going. And I got to tell you, I am a Bible nerd. I am a marriage nerd. So whenever I read through Scripture, I look at couples and I go, I wonder what their relationship was like. Like Adam, I mean Abraham and Sarah. And then you just go through all the scriptures. You got to think these people had to have conflict. When you're doing a big deal for God, it's not easy. So then we go all the way through and just looking at Luke chapter 2. We see Mary and Joseph on their annual trek to Jerusalem. They had a great time, I'm sure, as a family just worshiping and, and uh, being there for the Passover, and then when it was time to go halfway to back home to Nazareth, they discovered Jesus isn't there. Now, has anyone else here ever lost a kid for a split second, like at Target or Walmart? You lose your mind, and that's what the scripture says. Mary said, we were frantic. Now, I know whenever Carrie and I had gotten frantic, it hasn't been a good situation. And so when they finally found Jesus and Mary said, what were you doing? Your father and I were frantic. And he said, I was just worshiping my father. So he very obediently went on home with mom and dad. But I could just see Mary and Joseph into a major argument, blaming each other. Then I can see Jesus going, I'm about ready to lose my mind because I can't handle this anymore, mom and dad. I'm sure he finally said, hey, dad, uh, this would be a really good time for you to be quick to listen slow to speak. So that would really help your anger. And I'm sure uh, Jesus' half-brother, James and Jude, were like, that's really good. I think I'll put that in a book someday. And they wrote it down, and they put it in James, and I'm sure that they got the opportunity to learn a lot about relationships. But not only do we see Bible characters, Bible people having conflict in their relationship, but we also see it in 
pastors. I know Carrie and I have had many conflicts. We've been married for 29 years. Actually, in 21 days, we'll be celebrating our 29th anniversary. And in that time, thank you. I'm glad one person's proud. So, and in that time, we were able to have lots of conflict. And just a couple of years ago, Carrie and I got into conflict. And uh, uh, you know it's a good conflict when you don't ever remember what you were fighting about. And we just happened to be at a PGA golf tournament. Now, a PGA golf tournament is not a good place to get into a conflict because you have to be quiet all the time. And so Carrie and I, for some reason, I can't even remember what it was, so I'm sure it was her fault, whatever we were arguing about. And so we're going around, and so we're... And then all we'd hear, quiet, please. So we would stop talking. Then as soon as the guy would hit the ball, we'd... And it got so bad, I started looking around going, oh, I hope no one's here from our church because this would be really embarrassing. With it. And so finally, you know, when you're arguing and you get into the past, when you're talking about things that happened in 2004, you know, it's, it's called timeout you need to take. And so I called a timeout, and Carrie and I were like, I went to the other side of course, he went to the other side, then we finally came back together, and we thought, ah, I'm done. You know, you're not having any fun. So what do you do when you're not having fun on date? You go home. So as we were going home, ran into another couple from our church. Now, we've had 16,000 couples go through our marriage ministry at the church. So I, I kind of knew we were going to run into someone. And so sure enough, we ran into a couple, and, and they said to me, we've been praying for the opportunity to run into you. I was like, really? Because we just really want to thank you for the work you've done in our marriage ministry because you've saved our marriage. No longer are we experiencing that ugly kind of conflict we used to get into, but using the tools that you taught us, we're more happier than ever before. I just looked at him and said, thank you. <laughs> and as we were walking out, Carrie leans over and says to me, you should sign up for that class. <laughs> so we all have conflict. It's just inevitable. Life is, is hard, and, and especially during this COVID-19 era. It's been challenging. I don't know about your relationship, but I'm sure you guys have experienced conflict and arguments and maybe different expectations, different opinions on different things. There's been a lot of things, and if you've experienced that, I want you to know one thing. You're 100% normal, absolutely normal, because all of us have experienced that. And being in marriage ministry for over 25 years now, getting to work with thousands of couples, I've really come along to see that there's four things really happening right now in marriage that I'm really seeing a big trend in. But here's what we know about marriage. is that marriage, God created it to be excited, even though it's hard. But God still wants us to enjoy the marriage. And we see that in Ecclesiastes 9.9. Enjoy life with your wife. It could be your husband. Whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days, for that is your lot in life. And in your toilsome labor under the sun. What's interesting about this passage is we know it's written by King Solomon. And Solomon was the wisest person to ever walk on the face of earth. And he's referring back to his original wife. He had many wives and concubines, but he was referring back to the Shulamite. And he was saying, for someone who had everything in life, 
Nothing was not available to him. He was still saying life is hard. But when you look at all of these things going, God gave us a gift in relationship, in marriage. And even though it may be difficult at times, you can still enjoy it. I can give you all the skills in life, but what I want to share with you today, I believe that through the years of experience and the learning that I've done, that if you can do this one thing, it doesn't matter what happens in your relationship. Your relationship will thrive. Your relationship will grow. And when you're getting to your 50th wedding anniversary, you will step up in front of a group like this, of friends and family, your, your grandkids and your great-grandkids, to be able to say, this has been an awesome experience, amazing experience. I've had the privilege of being with my best friend for 50 years. And that's what God designed your marriage to be. Yet, sometimes we think it's a part of the grind of life. And we don't enjoy marriage. And God has created marriage for us to be strengthened, to be energized. I love what Tim Keller says in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. Is he shares, marriage has the power to set the course of your life as a whole. If your marriage is strong, even if all the circumstances in your life around you are filled with trouble, and weaknesses, it won't matter. You'll be able to move out into the world in strength. What a powerful statement. Your marriage has the power to do it. Your whole world could be falling apart, but if your marriage is strong, it doesn't matter what you're facing. When you have God on your side, you're enjoying the gift that he's given you. You can take on the whole world. Even the coronavirus, even if you've lost your job, even if, like my house, it got flooded, pipes burst, and, and there's thousands of dollars that's got to be repaired, is to be able to face that knowing that my marriage has the power to set the course of your life. So here's the big idea. Great friendships make great marriages. Great friendships make great marriages. I've never heard when I talk to people and say, eh, they're all right, but we have a great marriage. Never hear that. I always hear, this is my best friend, awesome marriage. And so great friendships make great marriages, but yet we see there's little things that get in the way of us experiencing the wholeness of marriage. In fact, they're like little jabs is what I call them. You know, if you're a boxer, if you've done things, I'm not a boxer, but um, watch a lot of it, have boxer friends. They would just tell me about the jab, the jab in boxing. So the jab is just this right here. It's not designed to knock you out. It's not designed to, uh, like, take you down for the count. It's not designed to win the fight. But the jabs wear out your opponent to set you up for the knockout punch. And so I want to share with you four jabs that I'm really seeing during this coronavirus era that I'm seeing really being like jabs in the marriage. They're not taking you out, but they are setting you up for the knockout punch. The first jab is busyness. Now, when busyness comes in, you know, when we hit that pandemic where everything shut down, everything, we just had to start working from home, it was kind of a nice break. It was kind of a nice reset. And we were able to work from home, but then after we came back through, for some reason, we felt like we had to go frantic. Now, go back to when you were first dating. You would move things left and right. Oh, 
we want to go out tonight. I'm going to move my calendar. I'm going to move appointments. I'm going to do whatever it can to be with you. And then when we get married, you know, we're enjoying that first year of marriage. We're having a lot of fun. Then we decide to bless the earth with having more kids. Then you have kids. And then you decide you got to buy a house. And then you got to make mortgage payments. So then you got to work more. You decide to go back to school so you can get your education. She's got to work. And so everyone is working. Then your kids get older. When your kids get older, nothing sucks the life out of marriage more than kids. Because they take up all your time. You got to take them to practice. You got to get them to tutoring. For some reason, I don't know why three-year-olds need to have geometry uh, tutoring. I just don't get it yet. But for some reason, we get into this performance-based kids that our homes start becoming kid-centered or work-centered, and we build everything around our kids. Everything around our work, where our calendars are filled with everything but being filled with our spouse. I'll tell you what's important in your life when I look at your calendar. I'll tell you if your marriage is really important by what I see in your calendar. Because your calendar reflects what is important to you. And when we have all of our calendars just packed with all to-do things, tasks and everything, that we go to bed exhausted and we don't have time to pour into the marriage relationship. And so the jab of busyness. Now, I did a little research, and I wanted to find out how much time does the average couple really spend together? And so I did the research, and I found that the average couple spends 30 minutes a week together. Now, I'm talking that's quality time. I'm talking not sleeping together or eating dinner. This is 30 minutes of undistracted time together. Now, a really good couple will do about 75 minutes. So if you go all the way to your 50th wedding anniversary, you will only spend a little under than 13 months together. 50 years together, the average couple will only spend a little bit under 13 months together. Now in Job, it talks about your days are numbered, but you get to determine what you're going to do with your time. Are you going to invest in your marriage, or are you going to invest in everything else? I just recently got an email from someone who's been in our class and this was last week. And she just wrote a long email to me and just shared everything, and, and they were a mess. But through the class, they've been able to reconcile. And, and in January, the whole family had COVID, and the, her husband could never fall asleep, could never get to sleep. And, and so he finally was able to get some rest, and he closed his eyes to never open his eyes again she lost her husband and in that email at the very end of it she said can you please tell your couples one thing live every day investing in their relationship because someday if they don't they will regret it don't let the busyness set you up for the knockout punch the second jab is fubbing. Have anyone ever heard of the term fubbing? No, good, I get to educate you. Fubbing is like a cool, hip term that is phone and snub put together. Now, fubbing really represents the cell phone. Actually, uh, seven out of 10 people believe the cell phone has been very damaging to their marriage. Because nothing says many rejections like the phone. 
You go out on a date night, you pick up your phone. Now the phone represents social media, represents all kinds of things, it's, and it also gets into comparison because you start comparing your relationship to everything else. And so fobbing has become a major source because we've replaced our relationship with a relationship with really a device. I have many people tell me, if I could just be like my husband or my wife's cell phone, I think I would be pretty happy. As much as they touch the phone, as much as the attention they pay to the phone, it's something that is huge in marriage that's causing a huge distraction is we've replaced relationships with phone. Now the phone, nothing wrong with it. The phone is a great tool for staying connected. It's just how we use the phone. The third jab that we see in relationships is unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. Now, this is something when we get married, we all have that expectation. Marriage is going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. I'm marrying my best friend. Wow. And then you get married, and then life starts changing because our expectation is here, but our reality is down here. Anytime you have a gap between the two, that's going to be filled with anger, resentment, and bitterness because you're not getting what you want. And so Carrie and I, as shared, were high school sweethearts, and, and then we kind of didn't uh, date while in college because I went back to California to school. And so we were actually dating in the days without phones, the days where you have to actually write a letter to each other. And in that letter, we, uh, she would write back, and we were engaged, and she wrote me a letter saying, hey, what do you expect of me as a wife? Now, as a knucklehead, I actually answered that. I said, I'll tell you what I expect of you as a wife. Now, I got to give a precursor. Please don't judge me through this. I don't even know if I knew Jesus at this time, okay? So I got this list. And when we were moving to Texas, we were going through all this stuff, and we found this. And so here's what I wrote back to her. It says, to answer the question, what I expected my wife Carrie to do around the house. First, prepare dinner. Clean house, dishes, balance the checkbook, don't panic yet. We'll talk about that. Do the grocery shopping, wash and press clothes, we'll go to the cleaner, vacuum. I don't know why I put fun, fun, fun there. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I was in college. I'm sure my brain was going where you don't need to go. Be a house designer and love, love. I'm sure that's where kids come from that we were talking about. But I can't believe she married me. Because I wrote this to her saying, this is what I expect of you as a wife. Now, did there, are there any babies in the family here? I'm the baby of my family. I was the last born. Yes. We're, we're great, aren't we? We're spoiled. And we love it. I grew up waking up every morning to a fresh breakfast. I would wake up, ah, bacon, mm. eggs, oh. corned beef hash. It was Cracker Barrel every single day for me. I woke up and I came to the breakfast table. My mom would have it all beautifully laid out. My clothes on the bed. I never did laundry. I never did anything. I know I'm spoiled. And so for some reason, Carrie didn't do that when I was married. And about a year into our marriage, I was like, what do I need to do around here to get a hot breakfast? She said, if you want a hot breakfast, light your cornflakes on fire. <laughs> it didn't go good. 
But my expectation was, this is what you need to do. And then my gap between what I wanted and what I thought my reality was caused a lot of anger. And I know during this time in this coronavirus is that we've had expectations. A lot of dreams got shattered. A lot of dreams got put on hold. Maybe there's things in your relationship that you thought was going to happen because now you're both working from home. But now that you're both working from home, you're seeing you're working more than ever because I've found that when people are working from home now, the casino effect kind of taking place. It's that we just keep working and working and working because there's this anxiety that we're going to lose our job. We got to produce because they can't see me in the office. And so as, as couples, they're kind of putting their marriage on the back burner. They're kind of putting them pause, and they're not wanting to have the relationship that God have them. And I got good news for you. God can have you enjoy your marriage even in the middle of a pandemic. God can do more in your marriage than you've ever dreamed or imagined even in a pandemic. And so our unmet expectations when we thought we had dreams is only God is going to do something miraculous in your relationship. The fourth jab. And I think this is the one that we most relate with is stress. How many of you have been stressed in the last year? Every hand I'm sure is going up is we've all been stressed and there's no wonder why. It's totally changed our world. Anytime we go through stress, that's because of change. We're not getting what we thought we would be getting or something, you know, kind of threw a curveball at us. So we're experiencing stress in our relationship. And I can tell you that how we respond to stress is so different as male and female. Now, there's three uh, basically chemicals that get released in your body when you experience stress. And unfortunately, between men and women, those chemicals are different. So for men, we really get a lot of cortisone and epiphen, okay, which is really that stress. It's, it's that where your blood pressure goes up. It heightens your uh, senses. It makes you fight or flight, and it makes you want to take care of the problem. But for females, those two go, but they get one extra dose of another chemical called oxytocin. So when they experience stress, they get this oxytocin, and oxytocin is the chemical that's called the connection. It's the connector. So when you're breastfeeding, it's the oxytocin is flowing as you're bonding to your child. And so oxytocin, guess how much oxytocin a guy gets during stress? Zero. And so this past week is um, we experienced, as you know, the freeze. And in our, during the freeze, our home that we just got out of, we just moved into another home, a pipe froze and it busted. And so I came to check on the house and I walked in and it was, Splash. I went, uh-oh. So I walk around the corner, and the whole ceiling in the kitchen is collapsed. I call Carrie and say, we got a major disaster. And she goes, ha, 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 ha. You're joking. No, really, we got to take a, I mean, this is a major deal. Can you not hear the rain coming down? I'm inside the house. Ha, ha. It took me five minutes to convince her I was telling the truth. <laughs> and so I finally convinced her, and this stress that was unbelievable of knowing that this whole house is going to cave in and so she comes over to the house and instantly I go silent I'm in this take care of it mode we got to find out what do we got to do and she's asking me how did this happen and I had to remind her I'm a pastor not a plumber but for some reason she thinks I know everything 
So I've learned through 29 years of marriage, I just make up stuff. <laughs> and it goes really well. Well, you see, Carrie, the water froze, then it expanded, and then when the temperature started going down, it just created this combustible blast. And she goes, really? Yes, you're so smart, thank you. And so we started just having fun with it, but distress when we don't understand it, because before, that would annoy me. She would ask me, we're, we're driving down the road, hey, why are they tearing up this road? I have no idea. But for some reason, she thinks I should know. So I just learned to make up those answers still. And when we're in stress, is I had to learn through this, because we get in conflict, I go silent, and she wants to talk. And not only does she talk, but she texts. She posts it. She sends it out to the whole world because she's trying to connect. Because for her, she's trying to get safe in a relationship. But for guys, we're trying to take care of problem, and so this silence and this ability to connect just usually creates friction. And it took me, again, 29 years to figure this out. Understanding the difference is, this is what I love about marriage, is marriage is about getting a PhD in your spouse. It's learning how to love your spouse where they're at. And the part about great, great friendships is that we get the opportunity to learn that every single day because every day is a different day because your wife, your husband is not the same person. They grow. There's different seasons. And our gift is we get to learn how to love them more. And so in 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul says two words that we know comes right after 1 Corinthians 13. All of us know 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And we've all had that at our wedding. But then when we get into 1 Corinthians 14, 1, I think those two words that starts off that chapter are way more powerful than anything in 1 Corinthians 13. What I love about 1 Corinthians 13 is it separates the, the adults from the children. But then Paul kind of shares, how do you do this? And so it's pursue love. You see, sums up everything. And in the marital relationship, when we're on this quest to get to know our spouse even more, how to love them better, is we're in this quest to even do relationships, is we have to pursue love. And pursue is a very interesting word. Because pursue is the Greek word for that is dioko. And dioko was a word that the Apostle Paul used a lot in his writing. The Apostle Paul used this word when he was wanting to go after something. So in Philippians 2, when he talks about, I press on towards the towards the prize in this race. Anything that was going like gusto with all full-hearted effort, he used the word dioko. Now, dioko was a very famous Greek word. It was always associated with hunting because it meant survival. And so when you get into the dioko, is this pursue love is in our relationships, is pursuing love in a way that it's not about me, but it's about my spouse. Now, growing up, I uh, grew up in a put up, shut up, no blood, no tears home. Then I was a college athlete. I got to play basketball and get my schooling paid for. And so everything I had was not relational. Everything I had was about me being in a place that was not about connecting. And so when I got married, I didn't really know how to connect with my wife. And having to learn, how do I do that? So luckily, I had a father-in-law who my, one of my mentors in life and, and just being able to teach me how to be relational because 
as beings that God created us, he created us to be relational. And so learning how to love my wife is taking on this pursue love and this attitude of what can I do to really love her well. Now, there's only one queen in our home, only one queen, and that's Carrie. Carrie is the queen of our home, and there's no doubt who she is. And, of course, my son, he didn't want to be called a prince because he thought, I'm a warrior. So he's my warrior. And I got two princesses. So I got my queen at the home. I got my warrior, and I got my two princesses. What does that make me? There's only one king, and that's Jesus. Servant. I get the gift of being the servant of the home. Someone's got to serve these people. I got a queen. I got a warrior. I got princesses. Someone's got to do it. And guess what? That's my gift. I get to be that person because God has called me to be the servant leader, not the king, but to be like a farmer. And as we look at being like a farmer, it's a lot like this plant. If I want a beautiful plant, I'm going to invest in the plant. Is I'm going to make sure it has water. I'm going to make sure it has plenty of sunlight. I'm going to make sure it has fertilizer. Because if it doesn't have water, if it doesn't have sunlight, if it doesn't have fertilizer, it's going to die. It's not going to be very responsive. But the more attention I put into it, the more response I'm going to get. And it ends up being a beautiful flower. And it's the gift that we get to be is not the recipient, but the servant. Like a farmer is I get to look, oh, what does it need? What does Carrie need? What do my kids need? And I get to invest in that, and that's pursuing love. In that is becoming the ultimate servant. Now, I know guys are very visual, okay? And so I have a quick little video to kind of just show you what I just said. Clean enough? Was that accurate? Yes. So how do we do this? How do we Yoko? First thing you got to do is pursue weekly connection. Weekly connection. 15 to 20 minutes a day, every couple needs to maintain friendship. Pursue daily connection, 15 to 20 minutes. Now, that can be not all at once. It can be through texting. It can be a quick phone call. Now, for some reason, Carrie, the more emojis I use in texting, the more connected and turned on she gets. <laughs> so it works. It's using weekly, I mean daily connection. It doesn't all have to be at the same time, but daily connection and 8 to 10 non-sexual touch. Connect, because it's, and that's communication. It's absolutely impossible for her to connect with you men if you don't communicate. But also touch, non-sexual touch, eight to ten a day, not um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> it is holding their hand. It's putting their hand. When you get out of the car and go into Target or Walmart or whatever it is, and you reach over and hold her hand, <gasps> she loves that. 
because it says you're with me, you choose me. The second thing you got to pursue is weekly date nights. Date nights is all about F-U-N. For some reason, we go out on date nights, we like to talk about budgets. For some reason, that's no fun. And then we get into major conflict, but date nights are for the purpose of having F-U-N. Carrie loves to plan our date nights. We usually take turns. One time she said, hey, guess what I planned for us tonight? I said, what? Because she's always really creative. And she said, I booked us a couple's colonoscopy. I said, that does not sound like fun. Only in Texas would they do that. Yeah, I, I vetoed that one. I said, how about a movie? That sounds like more dur durable to me. But date nights are about fun, is having fun. When someone decides to start talking about the kids, start talking about work, you say, uh-uh, F-U-N. And it's always about coming back to fun. Last one is pursue an annual getaway. Annual getaway. Is, this is important. How many of you guys in the last year have gotten away from your kids? Not very many. It's for some reason we stopped taking trips. Because, again, nothing ruins romance like kids. And so the purpose of planning your annual getaway. Carrie loves planning them. And then once we get to our annual getaway, she's like, hey, let's start planning the next one. I'm like, I want to enjoy this. This is awesome. But those three times are vital for your relationship is daily connection, weekly withdrawal, weekly from anything causing distraction, date night to your annual getaway. And I'm going to end with this. As you're pursuing the relationship, there's something absolutely vital to your relationship because we know that friendships trumps everything. You can learn every marriage skill you can, but if you don't build friendship, you have nothing to stand on because friendships makes a great marriage. But it's not just about that. It's about Jesus. And when we look at the power of Jesus in relationship. Shortly after a speaking event I was at, at our church, I got an email, and the email was, can you help me exit my marriage? Not exactly the kind of emails I like getting. I said, I will meet with you. So I sat down with them, and, and her husband ended up coming, not just one time infidelity, but twice infidelity. We sat down and, and we started talking and she already filed for divorce. He was already out of the house. And I just looked for a little instance of hope. And in the conversation, his name is Gerardo. Gerardo said, I will do whatever it takes to win back my marriage. And so I appreciate you saying that, Gerardo. And so she wasn't believing any of it because she's heard lie after lie after lie. I scheduled another appointment with Gerardo. I said, if you want to win back your wife, this is how you have to do it. But are you 100% committed to winning back your wife? He said, yes. No, serious. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to win back your wife, no matter how long it takes? Because it's not going to be in a couple of weeks. It's not going to be in a couple of months. It may be a couple of years before you see something. Are you ready to invest that much of your time in your relationship? He said, yes, sir. 
and you're going to show up here every single week. But first, this is the first thing you have to do. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, when he comes into your life, he changes your whole being. He changes who you are. He changes what you look at. He changes what you want. And no longer is it about chasing other women. No longer is it about chasing stuff. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. Because when Jesus comes in, it changes everything. Because when we treasure Jesus above our spouse, we will become the person our spouse will naturally want to draw closer to. Treasure Jesus. Scripture talks about whatever we treasure, there's our heart. Because when we treasure Jesus, our heart will be there. And when our heart changes, it makes us naturally attractive. Now, Gerardo was not attractive. Crystal had nothing to be attracted to. But when our hearts start changing because we're treasuring Jesus, is we start becoming more loving. We start becoming that servant that wants to not be served, but to serve as Christ came to not to be served, but to serve. We become more joyful. Who doesn't want to be around a person who is more full of joy, who's fun? You have more peace in your life, and you get to experience more peace. You get to experience patience, because you need patience in marriage. You get to have more understanding. You get to have more gentleness. You get to have more self-control, and your spouse will become attracted to you because of that. He changed his life right there, gave his life to Christ. He went to every marriage class we had, and he started just doing little things that would serve Crystal. Crystal wouldn't even answer in the beginning, but then she started realizing that Gerardo is not the same man that I knew. So she signed up for our marriage class, but went to a different campus because she wanted to find out what in the world are they teaching. And she learned that you have the choice to determine the course of your marriage. You get the choice of defining, is it going to be a fun marriage or is it going to be a boring, stuck marriage? You have that power. And it starts by choosing Jesus. When you choose Jesus, you're going to see things transform in your life. You're going to see yourself loving your spouse in a way where you're like, I can't believe I just did that. Where did that come from? It's because your heart starts becoming more like Jesus. And today, I want to encourage you, wherever you are in your relationship, some of you may be like, you know what, I'm I'm here because my marriage is really struggling. My marriage is, is hurting. I'm stuck. It's actually just boring. And I want you to know there's, there's, there's hope. Because it doesn't take two people to change a marriage. It only takes one. I've seen it time and time and time again. Gerardo, just through the effort of one, he wore her out by loving her so well. I've never had anyone sit across from me and say, you know what, I'm so overloved. I've never had that. But Crystal came and said, he wore me out by loving me so well. Because when we listen, we get to take on the role of a farmer. And so no longer was it about him. I get to look at her as a servant of Christ, to love her. Because everything I do is an act of worship. 
And when I'm loving her and she may not be so lovable, that's an act of worship. And so my challenge to you today, wherever you are, if you have a great marriage, or maybe your marriage is struggling, there is this hope that Jesus is going to come into your relationship and put a spark into your relationship. That it's going to be way more than you've ever dreamed or imagined. But it starts by pursuing Jesus over your spouse. It's pursuing Jesus over your marriage. Then it's pursuing your spouse over your job. Pursuing Jesus over your spouse. Pursuing your spouse over whatever it may be.